HEC Breakthroughs. A knowledge at HEC Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to HEC Breakthroughs, your monthly podcast by the Knowledge at HEC team. Breakthroughs brings you the best of HEC Paris's academic research from professors and PhD students. We show how this research relates to and impacts on the challenges our world is facing. I'm Daniel Brown, the school's chief editor. This month, our guest is Christophe Perignon. For our first ever HCC Breakthroughs podcast, it seemed appropriate to talk to the school's associate dean for research. First, we'll be exploring Professor Perignon's latest study on algorithms in artificial intelligence. For years, he and fellow researchers have been identifying human biases in AI algorithms for credit scoring. These have potentially life-changing impacts in fields as diverse as justice, employment and bank loans. I went to Christophe Perignon's office to talk of this soon-to-be-published study and more generally to exchange on research at HEC Paris. So here I am in the lift in W building going up to the fifth floor where Christophe Perignon's office has a dominant view of uh, the campus and uh, the beautiful fields all around it. Monsieur Perignon, Christophe, how are you? Good, and you? Good, good. Good to see you. So we stay here, inside? It's perfect for I me. I guess it's better for the sound. You yep. could go outside, but with so many birds. Oh, yeah. No, no, much better. And uh, it's more comfortable. It's your space. HEC Breakthroughs. Christophe Perignon, uh, welcome to HEC uh, Breakthroughs. We're here in your beautiful office overlooking uh, the campus and, and some of the landscape around it. So, and we're keeping our social distancing and our masks, uh, so it might change some of the uh, sound quality, but uh, listeners have become used to that. Uh, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you, Dan, for interviewing me. We just heard earlier a, a CBS uh, news report on the Goldman Sachs Bank, uh, which was accused of using algorithms for its Apple credit card that, that gave much higher credit limits to men than to women. Goldman Sachs is under investigation over alleged gender discrimination involving the Apple Card credit card. Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak and web developer David Hansen say they were allowed credit limits 10 to 20 times higher than those given to their wives, even though they had the same or worse financial profile. Goldman responded, claiming applicants are evaluated independently using factors including income, credit scores, and personal debt. You recently wrote a paper called The Fairness of Credit Scoring Models, and your study pinpoints some of the social discriminations uh, that this report on Goldman Sachs algorithms seems to reveal. Uh, this kind of AI bias poses serious reputational and legal questions. First of all, how do you respond to uh, this CBS revelations and news? Yeah, this example is very interesting because um, it's, it's a very clean example. Uh, here we have a difference in terms of the capacity of uh, borrowers to access uh, financial resources and then having a big difference whether you're a man or a woman. This example here is that we have like couples applying to the very same application and then they share the same income, they share the same wealth because they live as a couple, yet they have very different credit limits. How prevalent are, are such inequalities? 
now that we moved more and more to some uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence uh, scoring systems, it's kind of hard to know exactly the prevalence of this of this issue here. Uh, but we know that there is a risk that such algorithm may exacerbate the differences that exist between uh, men and women, or we can also talk about other types of differences, like in terms of location, where you live, or in terms of age. Or, yeah, so it's hard to know to which extent there is, uh, there is a difference because we talk about things that are typically uh, hidden, that we don't have, have uh, public information about this yet. And that's why we have only examples like this one from the Apple uh, credit card. But there is more and more concern among uh, banking supervisors and regulators. They need to know more about this. And they are seriously considering modifying the regulation in order to have like a more disclosure. And to be sure that this new technology is useful, useful to, to the banks because they will be better able to forecast risk. And of course... Uh, useful to society in order to make easier access to credits to a growing number of people. That's definitely the, the objective. But then we need to propose some regulation. Right now, there is, there is none. There is even no guidelines. There is no statistical test in order to be sure that the situation is, is appropriate. We'll come back to that uh, later. Christophe, uh, Goldman Sachs uh, denied strongly uh, the accusation, saying that gender didn't even come into the equation. However, it's more subtle than that, isn't it? I mean, your research uh, finds that proxies, uh, like where someone shops, uh, is factored in. Is it basically another way of uh, doing the same thing? Exactly. That's the, I may say, the, the beauty of those algorithms. They are so flexible, they are so powerful that... Even if you don't tell the algorithm the gender of the, the applicant, the algorithm will guess. By analyzing other sources of data, you mentioned uh, data about the, the purchase you may do, and there are also all the data about the banking activities of, of a given uh, loan applicant that can be used. And also uh, data that we called the digital footprints uh, of a given uh, individual which can also be analyzed by the fintechs or the banks using this. So it can be information about the type of uh, device that you use, if you're um, an Apple user or PC, uh, when is the latest time you updated your operating system, so what time you fill in the application from this, from this bank, whether it's uh, late at night or... Uh, they analyze the type of email you're using, whether it includes your last name or if you have a more uh, surprising email. So this type of thing can be analyzed. And then, of course, they can use this information to make differences among groups of people. HEC Breakthroughs, a knowledge at HEC podcast. We as humans are biased. We have a lot of prejudices, some that we know about and some that we don't. And there's this idea that if you turn over decision-making to computers instead of humans, that we can avoid some of these biases. But we're learning that algorithms can be just as biased as the humans that create them. Your paper also addresses other uh, AI biases that you've mentioned, uh, like prejudices against societal groups in terms of uh, color, religion, citizenship, and, and so on. Location, you also mentioned. Uh, you co-wrote this paper with uh, Christophe Hurlin and Sébastien Sorin, 
both of the University of Orléans, Orleans. The three of you show how AI and credit markets can be systematically unfair to underprivileged groups uh, that I mentioned. First of all, how did you work together, the three of you? Oh, I've been working with Christopher uh, for the past uh, 15 years. We are working on uh, the models used by banks to forecast their risk. And we, we have been working quite a lot about market risk, uh, credit risk, or systemic risk. And now that we have this uh, evolution and more and more machine learning algorithms are used by banks in order to forecast their risk or the likelihood of a given borrower defaulting on their loan, it, it was like a natural next step for, for us to analyze this uh, new uh, generation of machine learning models. What, what first got you interested in this uh, specific uh, issue of discrimination in AI algorithms? Oh, we decided to work on these uh, new families of uh, credit scoring models because we are really at the core of financial economics. Those models can change the life of people because they condition access to credit. Financial economics is about the allocation of resources among individuals in the, in the society and then the allocation of risk. That's exactly what these models are doing. How widespread uh, are these uh, concerns? It's interesting to see that things are, are changing. Uh, Ursula von der Leyen, it was like last week uh, in, when she was presenting uh, their proposal for regulation of algorithm and uh, artificial intelligence in, in Europe in the similar, uh, in a similar spirit than what they did for data with the GDPR. Um, they mentioned that this particular example, application of AI in finance and in credit scoring, was a high-risk example of application of AI. So it's interesting to see that um, things are, are changing and hopefully the type of research we are conducting is going to be like uh, more important and some of our results will be, will be used by uh, regulators and will be used soon by banks and fintech. Good morning, good morning. Artificial intelligence must serve people. Ursula von der Leyen, President of the European Commission. And therefore, artificial intelligence must always comply with people's rights. We want to encourage our businesses, our researchers, the innovators, the entrepreneurs to develop artificial intelligence. And we want to encourage our citizens to feel confident to use it. We have to unleash this potential. Christophe Perignon, I'd like to quote a sentence that struck me in, in your article. You say... AI uses thousands of data points and obscure methods of decision-making, which is sometimes called a black box. What do you mean by this? There are basically two types of models. Models which are inherently transparent, um, for which you can identify the variables which are playing a key role in the decision-making. For example? Those are like regression models or logistic models that banks have been using for decades now. And then a second type of model are more like the so-called machine learning or artificial intelligence models. And for the majority of them, it's very opaque. It's several layers of artificial neural networks, for example, which are inherently opaque. As a result, when there is a decision, you can really identify or pinpoint the variables which are really like affecting the final decisions. So you see the decision, most of the time the performance is good, the model is very good at extracting a lot of information 
from this huge quantity of, of data, but we don't really have a clue where this is coming from, where this decision is coming from. So if you're very pragmatic, you say you just accept this and say, yeah, let's, let's hope for the best. But from a scientific point of view, it's very frustrating for us. That's why we, don't, we want really to go deeper and try to see through this black box and making it more transparent. Christophe Perignon, uh, your research doesn't stop at appraisal. You also suggest both the definition of credit market fairness and a way of testing this fairness. Uh, and you call this fairness statistics. Could you describe this progression? You're right. The first thing to do is to uh, establish that there is a, a lack of fairness. Uh, and then what we, what we can do is to measure of fairness in two ways. First of all, it's the the capacity to access the loan. So we can measure the probability of having your loan application accepted if you're a man or if you're a woman. But then you need to compare this probability between men and women. So we develop some statistical tests in order to formally test the hypothesis that the probability is the same in both groups. And we develop what we, what we call a traffic light system. For some algorithm, we're going to say that the algorithm is green because we, we cannot reject the, the hypothesis that the probability is the same for men and for women. But then, unfortunately, we have uh, in our test many algorithms which are not green, but they are orange or even red, when the difference is just like huge between men and women, or using different type of partitions, can be in terms of location, can be in terms of age, or etc. Uh, so that's the first thing we need to do. When the algorithm is not green, we need to move to the second phase, which is, what is causing this? What is the main variables affecting this lack of fairness? As you correctly mentioned, the algorithm, they typically don't know who is a woman, who is a, a man. But they can access information about the type of labor contract. They have their job history, etc., and the industry where they work in. So we can real easily infer the gender if the algorithm wants to know the gender. Okay, so that's uh, the new kind of techniques that we develop in our paper, which is kind of to identify the variables which are causing this lack of fairness. And even so, when the algorithm is opaque, so we develop some statistical techniques. This is called AI interpretation to really pinpoint which variables are uh, affecting this fairness. And finally... When you, when you identify that there's a problem, we work on the mitigation. How can we alleviate this problem? And we work with, on uh, pre-treatment of some of the variables which have been identified. We can remove them and we show that it works. But what is super important is not only making this algorithm more fair, it's also being able to, to control simultaneously the impact on performance. Because if you make the, the algorithm fair, but then there is no more performance at the end, it's completely useless. And have you applied uh, these three stages practically yet? Or the research is too early and you've not yet persuaded any banks to do it? No, that's, uh, that's the nice thing with this type of research. It's kind of state-of-the-art type of techniques from a scientific point of view. And we aim to publish in the very best journals, but it's super applied. So we have been lucky enough to convince some financial institutions, banks and insurance companies to let us apply our techniques on their uh, real life data. And we conducted some uh, proof of concept with them and it worked. So 
So we are super excited to see that this is both interesting from an academic point of view, but also super applied uh, and uh, useful. In the industry. In the industry. We also have a very rich dialogue with banking uh, authority in France. We have this research center with ACPR, which is the Autorité de Contrôle Prudentiel and Regulation. And they are very interested and uh, they're very supportive in, uh, uh, for this type of, of, of research. And hopefully what we do can be uh, implemented also in the regulatory environment. In the world? Could it cross the Atlantic? There is nothing specific with what we do. What we do is, is in finance because that's our field, but it can be used in other areas like uh, human resources or in the, the legal world. But there is nothing specific in terms of field, nothing specific in terms of uh, data. And I may say it's even more important in North America because, as you know, they, they care a lot about like all the dimensions of source of discrimination, like uh, sexual orientation, uh, ethnic origin, or uh, religion. Uh, we do care a lot about that, of course, in Europe, but we have no data. And they do have data on the color of skin, on many different other facets which, for which we don't have any data, because it's illegal in France to, to do so, and in continental Europe to do so. Algorithms are becoming more and more involved in major decisions in many industries. They're already helping decide who gets a loan, who's hired or fired, who can travel freely, and even who's arrested and how long they go to jail. If these algorithms are flawed or biased, it could actually amplify injustice and inequality. You made it clear from the beginning, Christophe, that this research isn't confined to the banking industry. You uh, suggest that it can also be used very usefully in predictive justice, uh, sentencing, uh, probation, um, hiring decisions like screening of applicants' CVs and videos, uh, fraud detection and pricing of insurance policies, some major fields that it, it can be used in. Can you perhaps uh, elaborate on that? Exactly. This technique can be used um, in most applications of uh, artificial intelligence in, in business. The type of algorithm we are uh, analyzing are the so-called uh, life-changing decision-making algorithm because they condition access to fundamental resources. We, we talked a lot about uh, financial resources in the, in the, in the banking industry, uh, but it can also be access to work. Uh, when we see that there is like a growing number of uh, tools which are used in the HR uh, field in order to automatically analyze CVs that people are sending to companies uh, or videos. Nowadays, applicants uh, for a given job, they may have to answer questions pre-recorded and then analyzed by an algorithm. This is, a, this is another example of predictive justice also in the case of uh, a prisoner being released on parole and then the judge being augmented or helped by an algorithm very much in the spirit of the one that we analyzed in the case of, of a bank loan. So those are other examples showing that this type of techniques are not limited or specific to finance and they also affect many other areas and affect the life of people. Christophe, do you have examples of firms or bodies actually being convicted as a result of AI bias? Yes. Um, in January 2021, uh, we heard about Deliveroo, this uh, well-known company from the gig economy, being convicted. It was in uh, Italy 
uh, they got sued by uh, some employees and they claim uh, and they were supported by the, by the courts that the algorithm used by Deliveroo to allocate tasks among bikers or employees was illegal uh, because of being discriminatory against people tested positive at COVID. Because if you got sick, uh, the algorithm would can, and then if you cannot work for several days, the algorithm will rank you lower in terms of access to the new jobs. So the company got sued. Another actual example, again, very recent, early 2021, is the current discussions at the city of New York, and they are in the process of apparently banning the use of uh, algorithms for uh, companies using algorithm, artificial intelligence algorithm to uh, automatically analyze CVs submitted by uh, future employees or ap job applicants or the videos analyzed, uh, analyzing their answers to some pre-recorded questions. So there is a uh, different levels of tolerance to the, what, what can be done with AI. And um, both in Europe and in the US, there is some action in order to, to limit the usage of these algorithms. ProPublica recently investigated the algorithms used in courtrooms used to predict the risk of criminals committing future crimes. These risk assessments can be used to help make critical decisions like who can be released from prison and how much the bail amount should be. They found that the algorithms falsely predicted black defendants to be future criminals at almost twice the rate of white defendants. But researchers are shining a light on these systems, the people that create them and the data they train on. They're part of a movement calling for algorithmic accountability. Christophe, how costly could it be for these companies to resist these calls to evolve and to better use these AI techniques? It can be very costly for companies. First, in terms of reputation, uh, there is a huge demand or a, a pressure on those companies in order to be more transparent on the type of uh, algorithm they use and being also able to explain when they reject a loan application, they are supposed to explain what is the reason for this rejection. And if you use an algorithm, an algorithm which is not transparent, and if you train your algorithm with a huge quantity of data, you may not be able to provide an answer, a justification from this decision. So that's a potential problem. And I guess another potential cost for those uh, for the companies uh, using this algorithm is a reputation cost. If, like in the case of Apple uh, that's used in the introduction, the detrimental impact is very, very important in terms of reputation, especially in the banking industry, where trust is the number one asset. Uh, Christophe, we're here in France. How would you compare the realities in France and, and in Europe in terms of the use of algorithm techniques, ethics, and, and the other realities you suggested with uh, the United States? I guess in Europe, we are lagging in terms of interest in the ethical part of AI. In the US, people have been interested in this for half of a decade and now it's much more like new in Europe. It's interesting because uh, for several years, when people were talking about AI application, they were focusing on performance. They were focusing on the great data we can use, the great flexibility of the algorithms, how we can improve the performance of, the, uh, of these models. And then we have been talking about robustness. 
okay, it's working, but can can it last for, for forever? Or can we can we face some uh, regime uh, shifts? And now we talk about okay, um, what type of, of data have been analyzed? And now we talk about you know what can unintended consequence we can we can have by using this super flexible model. So we are really enriching our discussion about the usefulness of uh, algorithms in business applications. And now, where uh, are you um, in terms of further papers in the pipeline on uh, AI bias? Yes, yeah, so we work on a series of papers with my my team and my my colleagues. Uh, one thing that we are currently working on, and I find pretty fascinating, is this uh, this lack of transparency. I was uh, I was mentioning before, especially in the finance context. How can you explain that to uh, an applicant that you're not spending their loan application when you use a super large number of data? Uh, some of them may come from banking activities or shopping activities or from uh, uh, some open data that uh, can be used by financial institutions. And also when the data is analyzed by super flexible and opaque algorithms. So we work on some techniques which are called explanatory techniques to explain which variables are really like affecting the final decision of an, an algorithm. I think it's very important for any companies or public administration using such algorithm to be able to explain why there is this decision. Otherwise, it's very uh, frustrating for everyone and potentially illegal. As algorithms get more complicated, uh, as we start using machine learning and artificial intelligence, even as they become more powerful, they're becoming less transparent, which means it's hard for us to be able to really tell why an algorithm is behaving the way it is, why it made a decision the way it did. So transparency is becoming more difficult, but it's very important in order to make sure that these algorithms aren't behaving in a biased way. This is a reminder that diversity is incredibly important among the groups of people that are actually creating the algorithms, because without diversity, biases can be baked into these algorithms, and so they'll, they'll behave in a prejudiced way, just like a biased person would. HEC Breakthroughs, a Knowledge at HEC podcast. Christophe Perignon, you're a professor of finance uh, and a researcher at HEC Paris, but you're also the associate dean for research here. Uh, how representative is your research in this school? I note, for example, that the school's high-quality research aims at, I quote, continuously challenging the current business models or patterns of thought in society. Our goal at HEC is really to produce some... Uh top quality research with impact, with impact both in our academic field. Uh, I'm a finance professor. I try to publish in general finance. But then we, we also want to have uh, impact beyond academia. And the type of research I'm conducting and the one that we just discussed together with you, uh, Daniel, is, is, I guess, a good example of, uh, of, of this type of, uh, of research. We try to push the boundary of knowledge, produce new, uh, new knowledge and being published in the very top journals. But we also want to have impact on companies, uh, impact on um, regulators and on regulation, impact on society. We try to do, to do both. And I'm really impressed when I see the research conducted by my, my colleagues in all the various departments and research centers we have at HEC. Uh, it's super rich in terms of topics, 
Uh, sometimes it combines expertise from different fields. Uh, in the example of the research I presented today, I have a, I have a lot of help and uh, collaboration with my, my colleagues from the law department, also colleagues from statistics, colleagues, colleagues from economics. It's, very, it's a fantastic environment to conduct uh, this type of research. Uh, and then we see that collaboration with uh, NGOs and collaboration with regulators, uh, with policymakers. So that's definitely the type of, of research we're we're trying to do, and we are pretty successful at uh, are doing this uh, this research. And of course, going beyond HEC Paris to other academic uh, poles of, of excellence, um, for example, High Paris, which uh, of course is very close to, to your own research uh, uh, and its collaboration with IP Paris. This is another example of the, the desire to break silos, to go beyond and to break walls uh, and make this very much a cross-disciplinary approach to research. Oh, you're absolutely right. The research on uh, AI and its uh, application in business and implication for society is by nature a pluridisciplinary uh, project. So as a result, uh, in September 2020, HEC uh, decided to launch a, a new center with uh, five engineering schools. They, they are all combined within this uh, uh, institution, which is called uh, Institut Polytechnique de Paris, or IP uh, Paris, with uh, Ecole Polytechnique and four other schools. And for us, it's fantastic because we can benefit from their expertise in computer science, in machine learning, and they will benefit from our expertise in terms of business applications, as well as legal or social uh, impact of these uh, new technologies. Uh, so there are a lot of synergies and it, and it's not only like potential synergies. We already see some partnership with uh, researchers from both schools, and it's a great success. Christophe Perignon, thank you very much for all your time and commitment. Thank you, Daniel. It was great talking to you. HEC Breakthroughs. A knowledge at HEC Podcast. Professor Christophe Perignon, the school's Associate Dean for Research, in 2021, Professor Perignon celebrates five years in this post, a time during which HEC Paris has seen its academic research advance in leaps and bounds. By the way, Christophe Perignon is also the co-holder of the ACPR Chair in Regulation and Systemic Risk, overseen by the Banque de France. The illustrations you heard in this podcast come from an Axios film called Biases Are Being Baked into Artificial Intelligence. Well, that rounds up this month's HEC Breakthroughs. Next month, we'll be talking to Anne-Sophie Chaxel. In her latest research, the Associate Professor in Marketing highlights the impact that popular leaders have on truth distortion. Some call it fake news, but it's not quite that. Professor Chaxel describes to us the techniques of marketing and cognitive psychology that she's used to unravel this complex phenomenon. My thanks to the communications team for their help in making this program. If you'd like to listen to it again, you're welcome to download the program from the HEC webpage or all the usual websites you're subscribed to. There are plenty of other podcasts to enjoy. Goodbye. Goodbye.